Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Ladies' Night. I am so excited to, one, cover Yellow Jackets, but to have a guest on the show that I'm a very big fan of overall, Melanie Linsky. Hello. Congratulations. I love your new show. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It is truly a pleasure. So the first thing we do on Ladies' Night is we play with the dice tower behind me. I've got eight random questions here and I give you three rolls on the tower and whatever we land on, that's where we start at least. Okay. <laughs> Your first roll. All right. We're going with a number eight to start. Oh, we're getting straight into yellow jacket stuff here. Oh, great. This is survival skills. You are in a yellow jackets type situation. What do you bring to the group? What survival skills are you most likely to contribute? Oh my God. Survival skills? None. I have absolutely nothing. I think what I would bring to the group is maybe like a listening ear, <laughs> like somebody everyone can go to, to be like, I'm freaking out. We're going to die. What's happening. And hopefully I would be able to make them feel a little bit better. Uh, in terms of, oh gosh, I couldn't hunt anything. I couldn't catch anything. I couldn't build anything. I don't, I've never been camping for a day in my life, so I, I would not be good. A listening ear is very, very important. In the wilderness, I don't know if it's like your number one priority, but it's something. Now, just because I think of this often, in that kind of situation, what's like the most random little thing that would do you in? It's like, I think I'd be good in that type of situation, except for the fact that I wear contact lenses. So eventually oh. I wouldn't be able to see and... I don't know. You don't think about that sometimes when you watch TV shows. Yeah, that's not a random little thing. That's a big thing. That would be an absolute nightmare. I think for me, it would be spiders. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'd be like, just let me go jump in the lake and never come back. I can't have another wake up with another spider on me. Another spider? Has this well, has this happened? I mean, I'm imagining just being in the wilderness. Wouldn't you wake up covered in spiders everywhere? I mean, it just seems like it would. There would be spiders everywhere. Um, I've woken up and there's been a spider in the bed, which has been bad enough, but. I don't have a fear of spiders, but if that happened to me, I might. Roll number two for you. Mm -hmm. All right. We are going to a number seven. This is movie and TV skills. If you could learn a new skill or about a different profession through a role, what would you pick and why? Oh, a, a different profession, like anything in the whole world? Anything you want. Oh my gosh. Um, I would love to like, this is so silly, but I would love to be able to sew really well. It was something that when I was a child, I liked doing. So I would love to do something where I had to be like a seamstress and I had to learn how to sew really well. And then I just have that talent for the rest of my life and I could do all my own alterations. 
I like that. And then you could take those skills to your wilderness survival situation and you could help make oh, everyone warm clothes. That's true. That's something. All right. We're building something here. Yeah. All right. One more roll. Okay. Wrapping this up with a number one. Oh, this is just fun. I've actually asked you this before years ago. Mm-hmm. Would you rather have to fake sneeze or fake vomit in a scene? You've asked me this. The only reason that it really sticks out in my mind is because I like to play would you rather often, and this has become a favorite question. And the very first junket I ever asked it at was at the intervention. Oh, how fun. And you guys were all lovely. Oh, that was a fun junket because I was with it my was. friends and my husband. Um, gosh, I wonder, I'm sure I would have said a fake sneeze then because it's so much easier. It's easier to fake sneeze. Is it though? I always find that you would think it would be easier because it's not as gross, but is it easy to do a convincing fake sneeze? Well, yeah, it's not It's not that easy to do a convincing fake sneeze, but fake vomit is a nightmare because you're either holding something in your mouth and you want it to be enough so that it looks like you're actually vomiting. So you're doing a scene where you're holding like, you know, trying not to look like that or like for, I don't feel at home in this world. I had to throw up a lot and they rigged this mechanism and it was horrible. Okay. So we're going to, we're going to stick with the fake sneeze so many years later. I'm, I'm all for that. <laughs> all right. Let's get into the meat of it. I always start with this one just to get a sense of where it all began. So what is the, the movie, the performance, the, the personal experience, you name it, that first made you say, I absolutely have to be an actor and nothing else? Well, when I was a child and still now, I'm pretty shy now. When I was a child, I was painfully shy, like extremely, extremely um, we moved a lot. I didn't have friends. I I had a very hard time fitting in. For some reason, when I was six years old, I went and auditioned for a play. And I found such freedom when I did that play in having lines written for me, having a character I could step into. Like I just suddenly was like, oh my gosh, this is magic. And I had this confidence and being able to be somebody who was not me for a minute, it felt really nice because being me was hard and awkward and difficult. Um, and so from then on, it was all I wanted to do. I did every school play. I did every church play. I did everything I could. But I'm from a small town in New Zealand. I, people don't really, there was one actor from my town. And so I sort of looked to her. I was like, well, Katie Wolf did it. You know, maybe I can be like Katie Wolf. But people kept telling me it wasn't a realistic job to have. It wasn't a real job. Um, But it was my dream. So I thought, you know, I wanted to go to acting school. I I had all these plans. And then when I was 15 years old, I got cast in Heavenly Creatures, uh, which was directed by Peter Jackson. And I got to do a movie. And it, it was crazy. It was like a validation. And like the world was saying, it's okay to have the dream that you have, even though things were not easy after that for some time. It took a while, but it, that was the beginning of it being a possibility. With Heavenly Creatures being your first film, looking back, is there anything that makes you say, I'm so glad that I had my first big experience on that set with those people where, I don't know, kind of just set the right foundation and the right expectations for you? I honestly, it would take me about half an hour to list all the all the ways I'm grateful. I'm grateful because Peter Jackson was like a sweet dad figure to us and was so kind. There was no weird energy that there can be sometimes in our industry. He just was kind and loving and patient. Um, I was working with Kate Winslet, who was a professional actress and had been doing it for years on television. It was her first movie too, but... She knew so much um, and she was such a professional. So she really taught me a lot. It's also Kate Winslet. So like could, there's no better scene partner. And the rest of the actors, Sarah Pierce, who played my mother, was incredible. Um, they brought two wonderful people in to work with me, Miranda Harcourt and Jennifer Ward-Leland, who were New Zealand actors who I was obsessed with and still am. So I got to work with these women on on building like a a treasure chest of acting technique because I didn't have training I didn't have anything 
So there are things I still use that both of them taught me. It, it was incredible. I've been hearing a lot about Miranda lately because I had Thomas and Mackenzie on the show a couple oh. months back. And I've also had a whole bunch of people who have crossed paths with her just in terms of, you know, the, the training that they needed and that they got from her at a pivotal moment. Yeah, she she coached me for my audition for Heavenly Creatures. I would not have done that movie if it wasn't for Miranda Harcourt. She taught me how to translate my emotion into something that would be readable on screen that could be part of the character and not just part of me. She taught me how to let it go at the end of a take and not drive myself insane. She just was, she's, she's the reason I have a career. I mean, I, I'm so grateful and sweet Tom, like Thomason is so talented and so sweet. Like she's also a great mother. She raised amazing kids. She's just, she's a miracle person. I feel like I need to go back in all my footage and do some sort of Miranda Harcourt, like, I don't know, like honorary video, just stringing it all together. Yeah. She directed a movie a few years ago with her husband, wrote and directed a movie and asked me to be in it. And I was like, yes, I'll do anything for you. You're responsible for my life. Um, And it was really amazing to watch her work as a director. She's so good, especially with young kids just what she can bring out of them. Like she worked with the little boy on Lion, the movie, you know, and that performance was miraculous. She's just, she's, she's amazing. Makes me so happy every time Mm -hmm. she comes up. Going back to what happened after Heavenly Creatures and correct me if, you know, Google and Wikipedia have created an inaccurate timeline here, but. I will say my Wikipedia page is like professional. It's amazing. There's nothing on my Wikipedia page that I'm like, eh, it's incredible. I mean this in all honesty when I was reading it, because like I always at least, at the very least, will read a Wikipedia page and a bunch of other Mm -hmm. things for these interviews. Yours was incredibly impressive. And it also includes a quote from one of my best friends, which gave it extra bonus points. So who's that? Angie Han. She's she's a critic. And Angie, Angie is wonderful. We've known each other for years. And I don't know. Your Wikipedia page was very impressive. I, I mean, I can't believe it. I'm just so grateful to the person who did that, you know. <laughs> so I guess this is probably accurate then. You take a two-year break for university after Heavenly Creatures. Did did anyone in your life urge you not to do that after the success of that movie, that it was more important to, to keep the momentum going? Or did you always know that that studying was important to you? I will say the one thing about my Wikipedia page is it skews towards positivity. (laughs) It wasn't really a break. Um, It was more of a no options situation. If I had been inundated with requests to go and do movies, I would have been doing movies, but there was nothing. It took me a long time to get an agent. It took me a long time to do another film. I was filled with self-doubt. The whole time we were working on Heavenly Creatures, people kept saying like, great job. Like this was fun. Now get on with your life. And it was tough because my life, my dream for my life was to be an actor, but I just, I didn't know even after doing that movie, how practical it was. There are a lot of movies made in New Zealand where somebody gives a performance and um, the movie is a huge hit and then nothing much else happens because it's such a small industry. And So I kind of did try to get on with my life and I went to university for a year and a half. Um, And then I started working and I, I dropped out, but it was important to me. I mean, studying is still important to me and I wish I had gotten my degree. I wish, and I treasure every moment that I got to learn there, but you know, I already knew what I wanted to do. So at what point did the career kind of feel realistic or, or maybe what was, what was the project that kind of got that momentum going and kept it going? It was a job I didn't get that made it feel realistic to me, but I was flown to Los Angeles to audition for The Crucible. I had sent in a tape and I got to go read with Daniel Day-Lewis and I didn't get the job. It was a number of things and visas and stuff, but, and also I think they, someone, they found someone who was wonderful, but um, that was the first moment where I was like, okay, I'm reading with Daniel Day Lewis. No one's laughing me out of the room. He's treating me like a peer and is being very respectful. Um, So nice. 
And it was such a dreamy experience. And that was when I just sort of was like, okay, I think if I take myself seriously and try to have a little belief in myself, it might actually happen. So then I started auditioning. And then the next real thing that happened was Ever After. So I got to go to the south of France and hang out with Drew Barrymore and Angelica Houston (laughs) and a bunch of amazing British actors for three months. And then once that movie was released, things started happening. So of all of those earlier, you know, studio Hollywood films that you did, what Mm -hmm. made the biggest impression on you in terms of, you know, it being the type of environment that you thought you would like to work in more and also the the types of collaborations you wanted to have going forward? I didn't really know much about independent film. I did. So most of the stuff that was coming to me were smaller parts in studio films. And it was, it was an interesting way to be working. It was really fun. It felt very glamorous, like going to studios and getting a drive on pass and having meetings. And I, you know, I'm from a small town in New Zealand. It just was crazy. But I, when I, I turned 21 on the set of a movie version of the cherry orchard that I filmed in Bulgaria and Alan Bates was in it, Charlotte Rampling, Michael Goff, Catherine uh, Cartledge, who was and still is my favorite actress. Um, it had this incredible cast. And that was where I started to be like this kind of thing, like a smaller ensemble is kind of my dream for my future. And Catherine worked all the time with Mike Lee and worked with a lot of interesting directors like Lars von Trier and Lodge Kerrigan. And she gave me a ton of advice about independent movies meeting filmmakers and she's been my inspiration my role model she passed away when she was 47 um and I miss her every day I feel so grateful that I got to work with her but but she has been my inspiration for the kind of the shape of my career the kind of work I want to do the kind of actor I want to be and in person because she was a beautiful person You've most certainly made the most of that kind of advice in terms of all the wonderful people and projects you've been able to work on over the years. We, mm-hmm. like, I, I wish I had all day with you so I could touch on every single one, but in an effort to hit maybe a couple of titles here and a couple of directors you've worked with, of, of all the directors, who would you say has, has a process that aligns with yours the most, where it just like clicked the second you met the person and the second you hit the set? And then who's a director you work with that you think challenged you to adapt the most and maybe even adapt for the better? Mm, that's such a good question. Uh, the first one is easy. It's Steven Soderbergh. Um, d- dreamy, dreamy, amazing experience. He he loves all the same things that I love, which are spontaneity, um, not staying on a particular scene for too long. Like it always feels exciting. It feels new. He's very collaborative. You get to choose where do you want to be for the scene? Like literally what room do you want to be in? Um, he's so great with actors and he doesn't give any compliments, which I very much like because I don't, I don't, I don't like it. It just feels, I don't know. It's something that only really happens to actors. Like it's very rare that someone's turning to the grip and being like, wow, that last take, you know, when they're actually doing something that's like very complicated most of the time. Um, So I like not having to deal with that. Um, I'm thinking of people who've challenged me. It can be hard for me to stay absolutely in the moment um getting a lot of takes and a lot of coverage so there have been a few times when it's more of like a stamina thing an endurance thing like I worked with Sam Mendes and um it was long days of lots of takes and but that also was dreamy because I loved working with him and I love the way he talks to actors it's really warm and engaging and I don't know I've had a lot of good experiences that the the times that have been very hard for me have been when I've worked with someone who's wanted to be very controlling and said, you know, I need you to open this cupboard on this line and shut it on this line and turn around and smile here. And like that for me, like feeling like a puppet, I, I can't, 
I mean, I'm kind of bleeding into yellow jackets now, but as you describe that, I'm thinking about all of the the teeny tiny details and the nuances in the performance. Is there is there uh, you know specificity in the directing on yellow jackets that requires you to do that, given all of the the details that we're meant to be watching add up? I honestly, I'm at a point now where I don't care if I seem difficult because <laughs> I'm protective of my work and if somebody's giving me a lot of notes and a lot of like you need to do this you need to do that I I just say I'm so sorry I can't work like that I don't have any training all I have is my instinct so I just need to feel it out I need to do what feels right to me and if something seems egregiously wrong to you then please tell me but I can't go into something you know, it's like, imagine if you were walking into your kitchen and somebody said, get the cereal first, then get the milk, then get the, you know, you'd be like uh, second guessing all your movements. It's just, it's all I have. Like, I don't have a lot of technique to back it up. I just have things, what what I know internally that feels right. So I, I won't come up against it very much because I, because I don't let it happen really. Sorry, directors. This is a very like a very big question for a whole body of work as big as yours, but is there an example of, you know, a time where you had to put your foot down for that reason and a director was very responsive to it and in the end the scene came out much better? I will say the first couple of days of I don't feel at home in this world anymore, um, Macon, the director, was very specific and... I, I love him so much and respect him so much. I was so happy to be there that I was kind of trying to go along with it. And then I just said, this is hard for me to to have a lot of notes about what to do um, ahead of time. And he just was like, dude, I don't know. This is my first time I read a directing book. It said actors like that fit. I was like, oh, <laughs> maybe some, but for me, you know, and he was like, yeah, I'm kind of the same when I'm acting because he's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant actor. Um, and so we got to have that conversation and he was relieved because he was like, phew, that gives me like, I just felt like it was my job to, to let you know exactly what you were supposed to do. So when he let go of the reins, I think it was a more fun experience for him and it was easier for me. And then I was guided by him every step of that performance because he was so sure of what he wanted, but it also felt like it was coming from me. And that remains my happiest professional experience working with him. I just, I love that movie, the whole cast and Macon and I text each other literally every day. It's, it's really, it's been great. Oh, I love hearing that, especially because I love that movie quite a bit. And oh, hey, you guys should collaborate more. Make another one. Oh, my God. I, I would drop everything. I'd be like, sorry, Yellow Jackets. I can't come back. Well, maybe don't go that far. I need more <laughs> ASAP. I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that. But, I mean, almost. Like, that's how much I loved working on that. All right. Well, I guess you just handed me a good Yellow Jackets transition. So, <laughs> Starting out in non-spoiler territory here, mm -hmm. what was the audition situation like for you, if it, if it wasn't an offer at least? Did you go in for the role of Shauna and got the role of Shauna, or was it one of those scenarios where, you know, there were a couple characters on the table? Honestly, I haven't um, auditioned for a while, which is lucky because I'm very bad at them. I get nervous and I don't like auditioning, so um, I'm very grateful that I haven't had to do it for a while. Um, I mean, I would if it was something, you know, where I needed to. I don't have, like, an ego about it. But um, this just was an offer, which was nice. I'm sure they offered it to 12 people before me. Usually the case is that somebody's passed on it. So thank you to that person who didn't see how great it was or those people. Um, but usually that's the case. I'm not usually, like, first on the list, but it just came to me. I was doing Mrs. America. Um, I had a newborn child. I was exhausted. And I had just said to my agent, I don't want to work. I can't. It's too hard. Um, this is, I'm feeling like I'm going crazy. And she said, well, an offer just came in for a pilot. <laughs> just, just read it. And I'll, you know, respectfully pass. 
And then I read it and I was like, well, shit, like, well, now I have to do it. And she was like, are you sure? You just told me you don't want to do anything. And I said, no, I am sure. Like, let me have a talk to them. If they sound like psychopaths, then I'll say no. But they were awesome. I talked to Ashley and Bart, um, the creators of the show, and Karen Kusama, who directed the pilot, and Drew, uh, one of the producers. And they just were all so great. And I was like, I, well, now I have to do this. I'm very glad you took the plunge. This is this is one of those shows where I can't imagine the casting being any different than what we got. And yeah. the pairings here of the, the two uh, characters and the different timelines is just like incredibly perfect. I can't get over it. So I obviously have to ask you mm -hmm. about working with Sophie on this. So what was something that maybe Sophie brought to the table early on that helped you access something in your own version of Shauna, something that maybe you could never have reached on your own, or maybe even something you didn't even realize was there. Sophie has more um, directness in her manner. I feel like I'm quite apologetic and I mean, I'm from New Zealand and we're all basically apologizing for our existence and with every word we speak, we're like, oh, sorry, but here's what I think. Um, so there's something, you know, I, I look around a lot. My own sort of energy is not quite as direct and confident as Sophie's. And it was something that I really loved about her and I thought this is a, this is an interesting thing to try to have Shauna be a little bit more good with eye contact, a little bit stronger, um, not so sort of, you know, with her body, but a bit more sort of um, confident with her body. And that really came from, because there's something in, in Sophie that's like an inherent strength, which I think is really nice for the character. Um and then in watching the table reads as the season went on, we all did Zoom table reads and I got to see her beautiful performance before we shot anything and was just endlessly inspired because um, I think the scripts do a really nice job of transitioning from one timeline to another. And so it was really helpful to hear Sophie's performance and have that in mind for where to pitch mine emotionally so it would be kind of seamless. Um and I also just feel like I got very, very lucky. Like all the young actors are so great, but I just see what she does. And I'm just like, okay, like that's the other half of the character. Like it's doing 80% of the work. The other 20% is me. She's just so good. I'm like still in shock by how incredible this. I also had just, obviously I'm obsessed with Scream. So I just saw Jasmine in Scream and just. Oh like, yeah. I mean, holy shit. Again, she just like pops so naturally off that screen and brings so much more to what I imagine was on the page where like, mm -hmm. that is like a one of a kind, her performance, like her work in Yellow Jackets. It just blows my mind. Oh, I have to say it. I just, oh, she's such a great actor. They, they're all just. You know, even, you know, like Jane, who plays, played Laura Lee, they were supposed to have one line in the pilot and then they were so good with their, or like two lines or something, it was like a little part. And then I don't know if this is like public knowledge, but they were not supposed to make it past the plane crash and just were so impressive in the table read. And in the pilot that then they were brought along, you know, like that's just how good all of the casting is for people who are supposed to be in tiny little roles. So, I mean, they're, they're all just, I'm just amazed by every one of them. I feel like a proud mum. It's especially shocking to hear something like that because another thing the show does very well, well is, you know, weave all the characters together in a way that one only grows or takes a step forward for better or worse due to the influence of someone else and thinking about who Laura Lee influences and then what her absence means for certain characters. Mm -hmm. it's like, I, I can't imagine that evolution being as strong without her. Mm -hmm. I know. I know. The character became like indispensable it's I mean but that's just testament to how strong every single one of those actors are I mean they're all so good I every time it switches to a you know it's like oh coach Ben scene oh I'm excited oh Misty scene oh I'm excited oh and Akilah scene you know it's like every single one of them I'm excited to watch there's never a character where I'm like oh all right yes. it's just they're all so good 
100%. Going back to the pilot, though, because Karan Kusama is like hands down one of my favorite directors out there. So I got to ask you what it was like working with her on episode one. And maybe more specifically, what are some of the things that she sets into place in that pilot that made you super grateful that she was the first director up? I was incredibly grateful because she has such a great skill with directing um like grounded horror so there weren't too many like horror elements in the pilot itself but there was enough you know there was stuff that was gruesome and scary and I was really grateful that she was the person who was in charge of that because she's just so 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 skilled with it um I knew she was wonderful with actors because I'd seen her other films and all the performances are great. She has an interesting way of working where she gets a lot of different versions, which for me made me feel a little like unmoored and nervous. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what I just did. I don't know what she's going to use. Um, I think she likes to have options and she, she made a great pilot. It's a great pilot really is it hooks you so quickly looking forward though this secrecy is obviously a very very big deal on this show and you know it it makes me wonder what kind of challenges something like that poses to you playing a character I'm not sure how much you knew going into that pilot but you know were you in a situation where there were particular details that you needed and had to formulate for yourself if they were being held back from you in order to get a certain scene right yeah, they the writers were nervous initially about giving us too much information. I think because they were worried we would play it somehow, like we would we would give away the ending in the middle of the show, um, which is understandable. And also, I think some things were still a work in progress as they were writing the season. And I want them to always feel like they can keep going and changing story. You know, I never. I kept trying to say, like, it doesn't mean this has to be the plot for the whole series, but I just need to know where this is headed. There were things I I made them get very specific about. um, And then there were things where I didn't know a whole lot. I, I know sort of what their plan is. Ideally, they are hoping for five seasons, but I know they would do it in fewer if, if, if they felt like they didn't have the story to sustain it. Um, I'm just nervous about jumping into something where people don't have a plan in place where someone had a cool idea for a pilot and they thought, Hey, let's do this cool pilot. And then the show gets picked up and they don't know what the rest of the story is. So it was really important to me that they knew the arc of the entire story, that it wasn't going to be disappointing. Um, And they really convinced me that they, that they do know, like I really believed them. And and they gave me enough specifics where I was like, wow, you guys have thought it out. But there's, there's plenty that's a mystery to me. I certainly don't have all the secrets. I can't wait to discover more of them. I'll mm-hmm. put up a spoiler warning for this so everybody, you know, knows all the good spoilers are coming now okay. and you can speak freely about whatever I bring up from this point on. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Shauna makes a whole bunch of very big decisions throughout Mm -hmm. the entire season. Is there a particular quality of hers that kind of served as an anchor for you throughout it all, where it was a constant, whether we're talking about decisions she's making as, you know, a level-headed mother just trying to maintain this lifestyle, or if she's taking a, you know, a really bold, you know, verbal or physical swing? Something that's interesting to me about her is that she does not investigate things. I think she has a fear of the truth sometimes. I think she has a fear of change and I think she's traumatized. I think she's just living in a state of PTSD, extreme trauma. So for me, I can be quite controlling in that I need a lot of information. Like I was just talking about with the writers, like you need to tell me this, you need to tell me that. Um, you know, my husband tries to like take me out for dinner and I'm like, well, I have questions about where we're going, what's happening. You know, when I start dating somebody, I need, you know, like my husband, I I was interrogated constantly, you know, like in the beginning stages, like, well, who else is there? Am I, you know, like blah, 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 blah. 
And Shauna does not have that. I don't think she wants the answers. So for me, that's that's a very different thing to who I am that I've just had to kind of lean into. The fact that she is in a marriage with somebody who she's never really asked, who are you? What is this? And it's a weird it's a weird aspect of her personality and one that I find really fascinating that she's just kind of sleepwalking a little bit and I wonder if next season she's just going to wake up a little bit more and start to investigate a bit better bringing bringing up her husband does it does make me want to ask you because I like I think I have somewhat of a read on it but it's different coming from you did it did she love Jeff at the beginning when she was young, or is that something that kind of blossomed throughout their relationship together? It's just like, I keep thinking, was was the start like a genuine a draw to him, or was it more about Jackie? For me, I think that they were drawn to each other. That's something that Warren and I decided that neither of them felt great about it, but it kept happening. They couldn't stop it. Um and they really were drawn to each other. I think she was sort of surprised and she didn't really understand what it was. Um, and I think part of it, because she is a person who enjoys secrets and enjoys, you know, sneaking around a little bit, I think she thinks it's sexy. So I think part of it was the secrecy was kind of hot and the fact that she was keeping it from her best friend, which is a terrible thing to do. I think there was something about it that was a bit thrilling and it felt like she owned a little bit of power that Jackie didn't know she had. But I do think there was something in the relationship where they kept going back to each other. And I think certainly when she got back from the wilderness, there was like a conscious decision like, well, I did this awful thing to the person who was closest to me. And now I can't just say, oh, that was meaningless and maybe I'll go off and you know, I think if that wilderness time had never happened, she would have been like, okay, well, bye, Jeff, that was fun, and gone on and had other love affairs and done other stuff. But I think she felt like, well, now I have to have to make this be meaningful. I have to make this be my relationship for my life and was nervous to investigate it too closely like she is with everything. I feel like you're witnessing my head spin out of control with like a million questions every single time you talk about an element of the show. I I oh. love I love the the complexity and the fact that nothing is really black and white and it's fueled by a variety of emotions because that makes this extreme scenario feel grounded and very relatable. Mm -hmm. Going to episode six in particular, how is it filming that one scene with Sophie and Ella? Because in, in that moment, they're having the conversation on the bed and all we really get are reaction shots of you, but it's a very powerful performance where I could, I could feel and see the wheels in your head turning and that kind of reflects the complexity of a moment like that for her where, you know, you are, you seem to be expressing joy, but also heartbreak and it's happening at the same time. Well, I think she's so filled with regret I think she's having this memory of like a time when the friendship was very pure and they loved each other and they were there for each other and they, they were excited about the rest of their lives and what it could hold. And she's just thinking, she's just so filled with regret about how she handled every moment of that relationship. And I think she has so much survivor's guilt about why, why am I here? Why am I a person who gets to have the rest of my life? Um, and there's just so much there that she was never able to say to Jackie. And I think it's a really beautiful moment. And for me, the way that I feel about Sophie and Ella, <laughs> just like adore them both. <laughs> I think they're so good. And it was making me like very emotional was watching them playing like these little versions of themselves and the purity and, just watching them and being like, oh God, I just, these people are miracles. They're these beautiful human beings. They're amazing actors. We're making something that I believe in so strongly. It was just like an emotional moment for Shauna and an emotional moment for me. Sorry, I cry when I talk about the young I understand. <laughs> I understand. And 
That's that's one of the things I love most about doing these interviews is when someone expresses the enthusiasm for the thing they made that inspired so many mm -hmm. out there to really get behind it. And the show made a huge impression on people. It's it really like all I've really covered in 2022 so far are things with massive fandoms, Scream, um, Cobra Kai and this. Mm -hmm. And those are the types of projects that remind me why I like being in this part of the industry where I get the opportunity to push it out there more and celebrate it with them. Oh, that's so awesome. I feel your enthusiasm. It's like, it's amazing. Now I got to direct that enthusiasm at more spoiler questions. Okay. So now, now that I know the fate of Jackie, can mm -hmm. we confirm that Shauna wrote that journal in her, in her room that we see her flipping through? I can't talk about the journal. <laughs> I wish I could. Okay. I wish I could. I, I've, I've been in conversation about it for sure. Yeah, so it's understandable. Mm -hmm. the, the time will come eventually. Yeah. Um, here's a particular line I'm eager to ask you about. It's when it's when Shauna tells her family, "I don't understand why I'm the only one in this family who thinks action should have consequences for your mm -hmm. own head." Where does Shauna draw the line in that respect? Does she ever feel the urge for her own actions to have consequences? Or like, I know she does, but at least at that point when everything is kind of a whirlwind of chaos. I, I thought that line was funny because <laughs> she's, she's avoiding consequences left and right. She's also sort of put herself in a position where her entire life she wants it to be kind of a punishment, you know? She's not trying to be happy in her marriage. She's not really trying to have a better relationship with her daughter. I mean, she's kind of trying, but then she's like, she's not nice, you know, what can I do? There's there's a certain amount of like, it's not like victimhood, but it's letting yourself stay somewhere where you're not happy and not trying to make your circumstances better and not taking responsibility for your own happiness or for your own actions. So that line was funny to me, which is a contradictory person. You know, it's like often there are things that Shauna says and does that I'm just like, wow, okay, all right, no judgment. But... I will say, makes a very exciting character to track there, though. <laughs> yeah, into play. It's so much fun. All right, let's get into the finale. The big thing now, when were you first told about Jackie's fate? And if you were told about it earlier on in the season, how did it influence how you approached your own role? Hmm. I was told about it earlier on because I always knew that the plan was for Jackie to not make it past season one. And I knew that Ella had a one season contract. So you know, I knew that that was the plan, but at a certain point I started asking a lot of questions about, well, how exactly, what exactly happens? And they said, oh, you know, they were a little vague. And then I said, you need to get really specific because especially when she started appearing in front of me, I needed to know, you'd have a memory, you'd have a specific memory of the last time you saw that person's face, dead or alive. And so they told me they were, you know, so I knew for a long time and it did inform, I think there's a certain tragedy about never being able to repair that relationship that is all-encompassing. Like, I think the grief of her imagining that Jackie's there is something that literally stops her in her tracks. It made it easier for me to play those moments where I'm just, I'm chasing this ghost or this image of this person because... All she would want was to be able to go back and repair that, to go back and be a better person, a different person, a better friend, somebody who who was honest from the beginning. It's it's her life's biggest regret. I think she, she thinks she's a terrible person, mostly because of this. So she doesn't hold on to any of that strength we see her exhibit in the cabin argument. The, the death of Jackie completely obliterates all of that? That's my understanding I don't know I feel like part of that is for Sophie to decide and whatever they write for next season sure. um but I I think it I think it takes a lot of that away and it's also a kind of a lesson for Shauna like 
the first time you stand up for yourself, talk about actions have consequences, you stand up for yourself and you say, actually, like, fuck you, I'm not happy about this situation. And then you never get to say, oh, I'm sorry, that was a bit harsh. Let's talk about it again. It's, it's a lesson for her that if, if you ask for what you want or you stand up for yourself, bad things happen. I think that's something she holds on to for the rest of her life. With that in mind, what is, I guess, how do you, how do you figure out precisely when Shauna has an outburst throughout the, the uh, 2021 timeline? Because it, you know, it always, it always feels so specific where, you know, either she lashes out and kills a rabbit or, you know, she yells at, at, at her daughter. She yells at Randy. Is there anything in particular that's kind of, you know, timing when that ticking bomb in her explodes and she needs to say what she feels honestly to someone? Well, most of that are the writers. I think they're so good at showing that kind of repression, the fact that she's just pushing everything down until she can't anymore. They're so great at that. For me, I feel like Shauna doesn't feel anything unless it's absolutely impossible to not feel anything like emotion wise I think she'll do anything to not cry she'll do anything to not scream at somebody she's she's keeping a lid on stuff because I think she has that feeling that if you let a little bit of it out it's never gonna stop because she's never dealt with this trauma so she's so afraid of starting to cry and just weeping forever (laughs) so for me I'm an emotional person. I cry all the time. The hardest thing for me sometimes is to stop that and to hold it back and to say something that is making me emotional and playing a person who's just doing everything they can to to not let the emotion out, which I think is, I don't know, I just, I, I, I think that's a really interesting thing also. Like my my least favorite thing is when you see an actor like trying to make themselves cry because nobody ever tries to cry unless they're a narcissist who's manipulating you. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of fun to play somebody who's just like, no matter what, I'm not going to show it until it just, you know, comes spilling over. I've lost track of time. I've kept you too long. If you have another three minutes, we have a, we always end ladies night with a second game. It's just some fun. All right. So for you, I have, I have horror movie survival. So clearly I'm obsessed with horror movies. Mm -hmm. I want you to take the cast of yellow jackets, the real people, not the characters and cast them in horror movie-like roles and situations. So I'll give you a description and you tell me who best suits this description and why. Okay. All right. Who is most likely to not realize that they're in a horror movie and go and investigate a strange noise? Um, gosh, that's such a good question. I feel like I don't know the younger ones as well to be able to answer that. Um... Maybe Juliet, she's very open. She's very trusting. I feel like she she would honestly go to like investigate something. But she's also, I don't know, that's a tough one. <laughs> it is, it is. <laughs> How about who is most likely to sacrifice themselves for the others? Oh, God, I would say any one of them. I would say any one of them. Um, they're, all, they're all so loving. All the young ones are like so caring and so there for each other. Um, gosh, or any from our older group, like I would say, any one of us, probably Tawny, probably Tawny would be top of the list. How about who is most likely to trip and fall while running from the killer? Uh, me, probably. Oh, no, <laughs> probably. They're all pretty, I don't know. Although I'm quite a good runner, I will say. You got a chance then. Mm hmm. Who is the most likely to basically just give up when the horror movie starts? Say, like, F this, it's too scary. I'm just checking out. I, gosh, I wish I had better answers for you again, because I have no adrenal function. So in moments of crisis, I, I just I don't have any reaction. My husband is trying to scare me all the time. He'll hide in a dark corner and come crawling out on his knees like this. And I'm just like, oh, gosh. 
So I don't have much of a, a fight back impulse. I do kind of give in when I, it looks like I'm going to be murdered. We need to get you in a slasher movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. I would have no response. Who is the most likely to be the last one standing? Mm. Who is the most likely to be the last one standing? Um, probably Ella. She has, she has like a um, true resilience to her that I find really beautiful. She's like genuinely tough in a way that um, is is really admirable. There's there's just something about her that, yeah. To kind of flip that one on its head, who is the most likely to be the one that you think is dead, but is actually alive and comes back at the last possible second to save the day? Uh, Steven who plays Coach Ben. I feel like people keep saying every time I've looked on Reddit, they're like, oh, he's going to be gone pretty soon. It's like, mm-mm. I like that. It, it also, definitely subverts expectations. Yeah. He's also like, has like a little bit of a hero vibe. He's like a, he's a very, very good, kind person. So I, I could imagine him swooping in and sorry to say a man, but his personality. He earns the position. I'm all for it. I would believe it. I have to let you go. Thank you so much for for talking about your filmography and this incredible show with me. Clearly, I'm obsessed. I could talk about it for hours and hours and hours. (laughs) And because I have to let you go, I'll just scroll Reddit for a while. It's fine. (laughs) Thank you again and congratulations. Thank you. And thank you so much for talking to me. It was so fun. 